gentlemen, welcome back to another installment of the Rufus Rundown. We are back with a guest. It's Chris Kostich. Um, I met Chris working for the Brockton Rocks this summer. Chris was our analyst. I was doing my silent reporting, so uh, throughout a lot of the research we'd be doing and a lot of the conversations for um, baseball over the summer, uh, me and Chris were in contact a lot and have stayed in contact. Played a couple rounds of golf too, or maybe only the one round of golf. Probably should have ended up playing more rounds of golf if we're being completely We really should have. It, it's it's too bad that you live on the other side of Massachusetts. That's the problem. <laughs> the South Coast. I mean, I don't know if Franklin's any closer, but I mean, New Hampshire's a hike. No matter how where you put it, especially once you get towards the, the Plymouth State area, that's uh. Well, I'm not at Plymouth State right now. No, yeah. I'm, I graduated already, but regardless still a hike from where I am up here in Ludenberg, Mass, but, you know, do what you can. But, yeah, obviously the w- weather, weather pending, hopefully, hopefully next spring. Who knows if either of us are going to have more time by the time we start breaking more and more um, into the field. Um, cause yeah, right. I've started to notice that with my schedule, um, there is no schedule. It's just like... I guess you get days, but then like the amount of guys that come from jobs and stuff, it's uh, it's something. It's certainly something. But yeah, the the Brockton Rocks, where me and Chris uh, met, and then Chris, you had worked for them a year prior to me getting there as well. Too, you were you did the production, correct? Yeah, I was a lead technical producer. Was the uh, official title, and um, yeah. So funny thing about it, I originally applied to be the color analyst last summer too not this past summer obviously but uh last summer and brett uh brett shavs who's the play-by-play for them for anyone that doesn't know and is going to be now play-by-play for their semi-pro squad um he uh shot me back and said that they had already gotten a guy and i said yeah you know i i'm familiar with the program might as well and up to that point, I had only done, like, four months of work, to be honest, and I had zero clue, like, if I was really going to be any good at it. And then first game in, I was like, oh, man, this is actually so easy. I could be doing so much more. And I kind of just wired in and just went right into it at that point. And, you know, Brett was impressed enough to keep me on for another summer. Yeah, I mean, the production, being able to see both sides of the production aspect, I mean, I've, as I've grown up, even doing cable access, which is, I thought that was something, like, you know, directing that and working for cable access was one thing, and then working for The Rocks, the silent reporter being on camera uh, was another, but now that I've seen, like, a Division One university and how they, like, put together the production and, like, directing, there might not be a more difficult thing in terms of, like, sports media and entertainment than, like, directing and producing. Um, because of how quick you have to be, how perfect you have to be, like any mistake that you make is literally being displayed to whoever is watching. Um, so like with like commercial breaks and stuff like that, like that's one thing. I mean, announcers, like you really, I mean, as you get more comfortable being an announcer, not only are you going to get better at it, um, you can recover from certain things. Maybe not like a Tom Brenneman thing, but you can certainly uh, <laughs> recover from uh, little hiccups yeah. throughout throughout the broadcast. Like as a director, I really did, there's not much recovery process. So, uh, I but I also do think it makes me at least for me personally, like it makes me a better broadcaster, understanding how the entire broadcast works and having a respect for like each position and like what each entails. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that was the other thing too. Uh, Adam Ray, um, I doing a podcast with him, Bumble Ruski, for those that want to tune into that. But um, he was also on as a production assistant or cameraman, really. But 
uh, he, he'll tell you too. Like I was pretty much like very into like the nitty gritty, like fine details of it all too. Like, like I, like I wouldn't hound Adam, but I'd kind of be on his butt about like, hey, make sure you have it, have the camera at this like specific point, and this is how I want you to zoom in on like the American flag for the national anthem. Stupid little stuff like that, but it's all that goes into making a good broadcast and you know everyone wants to have the vision of you want to make it look like you're watching ESPN or, or Nesson or Fox Sports or whatever you know you're, you want to make it look as professional as possible so you can still get that so you get that cred you know yeah I mean like again like once you start building resume reels I mean it was an internship uh, for me so obviously like it's not an end goal to be staying there it is obviously um the goal to to eventually move on and things of that nature and again production assistant that that label carries because it was smaller obviously with brockton considering it's a smaller team um understanding what it is now like there's cameramen there's replay operators and stuff like that at the level that i've been able to get to as well too so um i I think like i said seeing all of it especially from the directing realm and from the production realm it's funny you mentioned that too like with like telling people what to do like there was periods of time where i've been a director and i've said like please like, and you see other directors do it. Like, there is no please, and they're very short. And it's very, like, you know, they want it quick. And it needs to be quick because, like, you're it's live. It's a live production. People are watching live. You need what you need. You, like, if you want it, you need to – there's no time for please. There's not really time for pleasantries. Like, uh, terminology is a big thing. Like, fade, take, um, understanding that when you take – the second you like, it gets taken or if it fades in the second, like, fade three and then you wait. And, like, you're getting another shot. Like, it's shot to shot. Like, I've worked, like, a field cam, too, where it's just like, all right, we're on, we're on you three. We're going to cut away. And, like, you, like, the director has the image in their head, and you're just listening to it. Like, and again, like, TDing, kind of the same thing. You're just listening to, like, the orders. You can pitch ideas and certain things like that. Like, TDing is even tough for me because sometimes I'll even just lock in on the game, like, myself. And, I, like, people will be talking, and, like, I'm almost, like, zoned out. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, weird thing to be kind of, like, shadowing as a TD the way um, that I've done it. But... Again, it's a production. It's entertainment at the end of the day. So when people are calling for things and things need to be done, like I don't want to be a dick in a sense, but like sometimes like you have no choice but to be like if you have the image in your head, like there's this and it's not being relayed. Like sometimes you have and it's live and you only have a period of time to get something done. You kind of have to be almost abrasive in the way of like directing, like literally directing, like just directing traffic the way you're doing it for the production. Yeah, and that's the other thing with Brockton too. You know it. You talk about, like, the communication aspect of uh, some of the other places that you work, such as Holy Cross. And it, for obviously at Brockton, we, we don't have headsets to communicate with each other. I mean, granted, we have, like, the radios, but you can only hear – you can only communicate so much to your guy – to whoever is on the third baseline. Hey, make sure you have this shot. You know, it's, it's more of – I kind of had to be, like, really – hammer home what i wanted pre-broadcast before the game this is what i want to see you better show me it or it's not like i'm gonna whip your ass or anything but like, <laughs> regardless this is what i want to see if you don't give it to me then it's all right we got next game but by the time we got like halfway through the season that year it was we we were looking really really good like I said, Adam can attest to it. We that was a real fine broadcast we were running there. 
I, I couldn't imagine doing it without headsets and stuff. I remember my first day at Holy Cross, like, I was supposed to be shadowing just to make sure, like, because it's a bigger board. Everything's bigger. Like, I don't know about commercial breaks and, like, anything like that. Like, I had done it, like I said, at a, at a smaller uh, level, and things happen a certain way. My boss has to step away, and he's like, can you just change between cameras one and two? And I did that for a couple minutes, and then I was like, I've done this before. I haven't done it on this stage, but I've done it before. I started calling out shots, started changing them. I'm like, hey, do we have that replay? I did the replay, white play. It was very foreign to, like, the board I was working with. It's still a, a new tech. It's still a TriCaster, but, like, the size of it and what we had lined up, like, I wasn't, like, totally familiar with it yet. But eventually ended up, you know, kind of finding my way, and, like, I haven't, like, directed since. But, you know, that's obviously the goal to get there, too, in terms of in addition to the broadcasting. But, yeah, it's been a cool experience. And if I didn't have the experiences that I had with cable access or, like, you would have it with Brock, and, like, obviously it's, like, you might not be an expert, but I think you have a leg up and you have an advantage over people who are just like, oh, like I'm trying to like entry level as opposed to like what you expected, you're expected to know, what you're going to learn. Like we do have that advantage because we've worked in those environments before. And if you worked in an, envir- in an environment without people that have, have headsets, it's only going to add to your ability to do it in the sense of once you do and you can call out the shots you want live, like it's only going to take that production um, to the next level. Um, and I guess we can kind of seg- you know, segue it into um, – Working as an analyst, I guess we can kick it forward to that, what the experience was like uh, this summer. And then, obviously, we can talk about the Fumble Ruski podcast, too, the guys you do that with. But what was it like this summer uh, working as an analyst? Obviously, Brockton, we both know, wasn't uh, wasn't the hottest team in the uh, the Futures no. League by, <laughs> by any means, which, uh, again, that's another work in progress because we had to find positive stuff. Both of us being analysts, in a sense. That, that was the worst part about it. That was the worst part about it. They... <laughs> Brockton this past summer had the most losses in Futures League history. They at one point had the most losses in a specific month. They also had the longest losing streak in Futures League history. You base there was there's only a handful of players on that team they could have they could have said a lot of great things about. Um, like guys like Jack Overt. Um, I can't think. Garrity uh, Garrity was a stud. Yep. Garrett, he was a stud. Boslin was a stud, yeah. yep. <laughs> guys like those types of guys. But, like, I really enjoyed doing the analyst work, though, in general, because um, just looking at just the advanced stats and looking at that and getting, like, a bigger picture of even guys around the league, too, that helped me a lot with figuring out, like, how these guys play type of thing without needing to – go so deep into the film because you know there's there's so much game film that you can go through on uh, the futures league network and whatnot and you it's hard to find a specific thing you're looking for you know and you it's not like you know for example like manny jr right first five games he had the hottest bat in the freaking world for the first three games we're throwing him fastballs <laughs> And then, yeah, throwing them fastballs, and then they finally figured out just throw them straight junk in the dirt, and he's going to chase at it. But, you know, it's those little intricacies. And um, the other thing, too, my experience being a catcher kind of helped me be like, okay, I kind of know what pitch should be thrown right now or where to throw it or having knowledge of tunneling so for those that don't know what tunneling is say you throw a fastball high in the zone maybe you throw a curveball that top of the pitch is top of the zone and then it drops down type of thing so that's kind of what tunneling is you tunnel 
two pitches, but they they go in different directions. And there, there's a lot of great clips of MLB pitchers doing the same thing, like uh, Trevor Bauer uh, throwing a two-seam one way and then throwing a slider the other way. And they all look like the same pitch until they break. Um, and that's that's the beauty of baseball, too, is those little intricacies. Yeah, the game, the game within the game. And, I mean, I would almost like more so than, like, the season itself and being on camera, like, I almost took more, it was almost more fun for me to be able, especially the time that I was able to spend with, like, you and Brett up there, like, we'd get there, the two-hour call time ahead of time, uh, we'd just sit down, we'd just get in the computer, we'd get in the books, Jared Roderick would pop up too, and the three of us would just start throwing stats around, and we would dig deep, we would go, yeah, ser- the wildest stats, we, we would go ser- I, I seriously knew, deep. I never knew runs created was really that big of a stat until we saw uh, Tyler Bestunas having, like, 30 runs created and the next guy was like 10 runs created and we were like jesus christ he's hitting 600 through like the first two months of the season and yeah you'd, his he was like accountable like individually i think it was because he stole bags too he had speed and his obp was ridiculous and like i, I just remember his runs created like for the individual runs created was like whatever percent was over 40 percent i think of worcester's offense to that point and like they were just running away with it and i was like well, MVP vote, like, this guy. And then you had guys like Nick Searcy, who just, I mean, graduate student. I mean, he should be doing it against, especially the young kids Brock and that. That was another thing with Brock did was how young they were. Yeah. But he was with hit, with hit balls that would land. You can't talk about the Brockton Rocks without mentioning how young that roster was. Like, uh, Shafalo was the oldest guy on the team, and he was a junior in college. And then he got, um, and then he got called to the New England League. And we were like, well, damn, there goes our pitching right there. It was the best, well, best, had, best arm in the staff. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you still had you still had decent arms, decent young arms in general that were either coming out of their first year of college or straight out of high school. Um, like the the youngest of the two brothers. I can't think of his name. Right oh, now. Ryan McDougal. Ryan McDougal. Yeah, McDougal. Like, guys like him or Ryan Garrity. They're not pitchers, but I'm just throwing names Yeah, right now. Uh, TJ Curley, another guy. He he can throw, man. He's only going to get better as he grows because he has stuff. That's the thing that they look for when they're younger is, like, you have the stuff. TJ Curley, by far, has the stuff. Some of those guys don't. Some of those guys that that were in there, especially later in the season, uh, quite personally, no disrespect, they're out there. I don't think they have the stuff. TJ Curley, one of the guys, obviously, with the strikeouts he had, has the stuff. Got hit hard in some performances, too. Um, Sometimes would struggle with control. But that's all a part of, you know, growing into your body, growing into uh, becoming a more defined, developed pitcher. Um, overall, like I said, we have Marika Lizik too. Marika Lizik was, uh, again, they, I feel like they still did her dirty considering how many innings they threw her for because, like, when they put her in the right role, she was really solid when they had to adjust to the slower speed. And she had control. She threw junk. She knew how to pitch backwards. Like, she really was pretty talented uh, on the mound. I'll give her all the credit in the, in the world for that. Um, like, I didn't, honestly, like, completely honest, was not expecting anything from it. I was kind of like, oh, this is just to sell no, tickets. I, I wasn't expecting anything. You, you know, that that TikTok stitch of like her throwing a pitch. I think it was her throwing a pitch and Jose Batista taking it for a ride. And, that, and, you know, that's like the only image we have going into that season. And you look up her stats and there's not really a lot to look at because she didn't, I forget if she even threw when she was at Sonoma 
And the previous school that she was at, she didn't even pitch. She was a catcher. She caught at Riviera, yeah. So she was the first field player, yeah, first female field player in D3 and the first female pitcher in D2, um, I believe, yeah. was and, her claim. Yeah, and so we don't have any idea of what we're about to, about what we're about to look at. And then she comes in that first game against Nashua and gets that kid looking on some outside changeup that caught the corner and it's like oh all right i guess we got something here i get this might not be as bad as we might think it's about to be yeah in in her defined role she was great and what's she doing now coaching in japan or something she was coaching in japan i don't know i just saw that she launched some sort of like baseball training program but obviously like she's done more than enough to set her up uh, herself up in um her if she wants to stay around the game i think she's done more than enough to prove that she can hang she knows what she's doing um and that you know she's marketable she's a good person she's a good yes. conversation she was a good person like she was not full of herself by any means uh she blended oh, in yeah. you, you would have thought that like having a girl in the dugout like dudes wouldn't have liked her like she was very personable she was like it would appear that the dudes like did not resent having her around like it's not that she didn't fit in she didn't try too hard to fit in like uh you know she was one of the guys which i think is why she will be able to find herself in the field for however long she wants to do it, whether it be in the media side of it or the marketing side of it, or if it's actually getting into coaching. That was the other thing I was going to bring up too, is even if she doesn't get into get on the field or in the dugout or anything like that, she's still a solid media influencer for the MLB. And that's one of the reasons why she ended up leaving so early from the team was because she was going to be a, she was doing something for uh, the MLB during the All-Star weekend. Yeah, then she, that's when she went over to Japan to coach the, the pony teams, the U.S. pony, the women's ponies team um, that were over yeah. there in Japan for that, the, the National World Series. And then, um, again, like they have um, the coach from the San Francisco Giants. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her name. I think it's Alyssa Nakin. Is, is it Nakin or Nakin? Alyssa, I think it's Alyssa. Whatever it is, she's the she was the assistant coach. She's one of the bench coaches for uh, the Giants. I think she was actually the assistant head coach. Um, she's getting interviewed for the head coaching job, and like again, it's the whole Becky Hammond thing too, where it's like, if and if she can do it, let it go, like, like let her do it. Like if she can do it, like I don't, I'm in the business of winning. I'm I'm in the business of, like there is no, when it comes to like racism and taking somebody for their, their color of their skin as opposed to that in a business that is revolved around success. Like you want to make money, you want to win ball games. Uh, I, I'm in, in, in believing that. Obviously, like any type of prejudice is a bad business model. Like if you're going to take someone else because of how they look or what they believe in, as opposed to someone who's going to give you more value for what you're going to pay um, in any field, not just sports, but more specifically sports, considering um, the high levels of the money that they're making. Um, I don't like, again, it probably still does exist, but I'd like to believe that it doesn't in the sense of um, these are high stakes and you can't make decisions for, like based off of stuff like that, obviously, because you want you should be wanting to win. So. If she puts you in the best position to win, and the Giants are a very, very good organization, has won a lot, um, let it rip. And then I think that should even give more hope to a player like Marika Lizik or coach when she gets into coaching um, that she can make that level as well. Yeah, and that's that's definitely in the back of the mind of the Giants. You know, it's, it's you know as much of a media PR high point this is going to end up being, you know, ironing the first female manager in LLB history. That's going to be a huge media talking point. But the other side of it is this better not be for your PR and whatnot. This better be for the right reason. And as you're saying, if it should be for the right reason. You, 
And even for uh, the woman that's getting hired or that's getting looked at, you know, you she would want to be hired for the right reasons and not just because she's a girl because that just – it just diminishes everything that you work for. It makes you look – it makes everyone look bad, including the person that gets hired. Well, I mean, like, if, you, if you're – a young lady trying to go pursue the field of coaching in in a men in a men, obviously male dominated sport. Um, if they do just hire her because she's a girl and she struggles, now all of a sudden it's like no one ever wants to hire a girl again. So it's yeah. like it it's your again if you look at the Jackie if you you look at the Jackie Robinson situation of breaking the color barrier. I mean, um, so breaking a gender barrier, breaking a color barrier. Um, Jackie Robinson was nasty. He was so good. He's a Hall of Fame baseball player. That and 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 I'm not saying that it wouldn't have stuck because you know the times were changing, the world as it was. But I think it helped that it sucked that more players came in to break the color barrier because of how good Jackie Robinson was. So if you come in and she has success, that sets a precedent for more people coming forward to be able to have that uh, opportunity to obviously pursue coaching at that level. Um, so I'll let you get into the Fumble Rooski podcast once we touch upon the NFL, which will be coming up. We'll be uh, giving you guys um, some of our, our three picks apiece for the week against the spread. Uh, coming up, and then we're going to have our three surprising teams in a positive, and we're going to have our three disappointing teams for the season uh, as it sits right now, and our just general thoughts on the NFL season, because honestly, we have a pretty good season so far, but segueing from, um, obviously, talk of the Brockton Rocks, we're going to cut into some, some MLB talk, which, again, the playoffs have been uh, mighty exciting, uh, Chris, and we've you know seen a lot of players, a lot of different things happening, players making a name for themselves, players continuing to uh, capitalize on the name they've already made, like a name like Bryce Harper. Uh, but overall, what have your thoughts of the MLB playoffs been? Definitely surprising. And, you know, never mind the fact that you have the 100-win teams not even making it to the championship series. It's kind of just how we even got here in general. You know, you you have an amazing series between the Phillies and the Braves. It's it's a shame that the divisional series isn't seven games because that should be a seven game series through and through. And you get two. That's the that's the joy of the playoffs. Sometimes that sometimes you'll have two teams that are division rivals, and that's what the Braves and the Phillies were, obviously. And then you add on a little bit of extra extra spice to it with Arcea, Chirp, and Harper, and all the storylines coming out of that, like the locker room talk. Um, you got the Astros and the Rangers, two AL West division rivals in the ALCS right now, and while this is recording, the Astros are up 5-2, currently in the bottom of the sixth. But it's... I feel like the Phillies... I feel like the Phillies should win it all. I mean, they... They've already pretty much decimated the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks too. Never mind. Can't can't forget about the Diamondbacks. Obviously, it's a team that I don't think anyone really had going this far at all. And that's that's the joy of baseball. Sometimes is that it's such a random sport that if you can get a team that's just smoking hot like the Diamondbacks just were, or say the Phillies or the Rangers, like all these teams found some sort of way to just click and the Astros too we don't even need to go that far into the Astros because this is what they've been doing for the last almost decade 
what is it, like seven straight years of making it to the CS now? I believe seven is the number, and again, I'm so glad they're doing it because the the whole sign-stealing scandal thing is now just being disproven more and more, and they continue to look for even the craziest things, like, oh, I heard a trash barrel, or oh, they have electric shock sensors on. Like, they everybody dug so far into that conspiracy for clicks and just continuing to prove that well, first of all, the only teams that you, like, everybody, if they were doing it, everybody was doing it. They just did it better than everybody else. That, that if There's a reality to that. Um, but I've talked about that at length in my podcast. Danny Picard wrote pieces on it, and I worked for Danny in the past. And he broke the story on it originally, and I had a relationship with Danny when he was doing that. He broke the story on the Astros doing it to the Red Sox in the ALCS the year that the Red Sox went on to win it and still defeated the Astros. Um, and continued the run with said story when he had multiple interviews with players saying, hey, uh, pitchers are using stuff too. We had to find a way to combat it. They were using, obviously, the spider tack, and they were using goop, which was like dried Coca-Cola, bullfrog sun spray. But that's a whole different conversation. Like A lot of those teams you mentioned, the Cattell Martes of the world and for the Diamondbacks and Philly doing their thing with Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper, Trey Turner. Um, the, I, obviously, I still think the cool one of the coolest stories running through uh, the playoffs and the season overall is when Trey Turner was struggling. Instead of booing him, they did the, the standing ovation. And not only have the Philly has Trey Turner not looked back, the Phillies have not looked back, and the entire city of Philadelphia at this point uh, has not looked back because they have a lot of bright future ahead in all their sports. And again, it's like I, I can't stand the Eagles for whatever particular reason, but when it comes to the Phillies, there's something that I don't know. This I, I do root for the Phillies. I do have a there's a positive um, kind of influence that the Phillies have on me, but Bruce Bochy managing the Rangers. I've, I grew up a Buster Posey fan as a catcher. I'm sure you can relate some form to appreciating Buster Posey growing up as a catcher. Uh, I had a great appreciation for Posey, so a great appreciation for Bruce Bochy as well. Uh, clearly the guy can manage a ball club. Um, the Astros just doing their thing. and Overall, it's been an ex- exciting postseason. Um, the whole thing with the format, though, with none of the 100-win teams making it, because I was hoping the Orioles would make a run, uh, personally, myself, um, again, catchers, Adley Rutschman, and uh, multiple The, the problem other with names. the Orioles, though, is that's the other thing, too, is, you know, you could say the same thing about the Diamondbacks. They do still have some, like, veteran guys like uh, Loris Gariel, but um, the Orioles, I felt, were just too young to make a deep playoff run, comparing it to teams like the Phillies and the Astros. The Astros have been here before. The Phillies were just in the World Series last year, and they got a lot of veteran guys like Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Trey Turner. It's... And that's I feel like that's definitely a main reason why that the Diamondbacks are kind of fizzling out the way they are, and you know, the, the run is just coming to a halt right now, and the... I When I think of teams that have such a huge run and then it just comes to a screeching halt like one of the first teams i think about is that 2021 Sox team that they had the hottest bats in the world kike hernandez could not be stopped and then all of a sudden after um what was it after game three when they went up 2-1 and then they i forget what even happened in game four but they didn't get a call the Sox way and then all of a sudden they just went dead. They couldn't hit to save their life. I mean, and that's my bad to cut you off there. What, no, you're good. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing now with uh, the Diamondbacks is their run is badly coming to a halt. But you never know. It's that's why it's a seven game series. Baseball's a funny sport. 
you never know. We could see the Diamondbacks rattle off two games in a row, but seeing the way that their ticket prices are right now, it doesn't seem they have a lot of faith. I mean, I saw that, no, I did not see the, the pick. The ticket prices dropped uh, severely after going down 2-0. They're, they're down to as low as $10. Well, they got hot tub seats out there. I heard that if you like Southwest is opening up a thing where you can fly for $29 or less. If you leave after eight o'clock or leave at seven yeah. before seven in the morning. So maybe I'll catch a red eye flight out to, <laughs> out to Arizona <laughs> to get one of those hot tub seats out there. <laughs> And they were on such a they're on such a run too. A lot of it comes down uh, uh, to pitching too. I would say. Um, I mean, obviously the Phillies have some guys. Um, it, it's a lot. I mean the the Astros have some guys. You have you know, Scherzer for the Rangers as well too, which obviously really uh, hasn't really panned out too well for them tonight. Um, he didn't have a good outing today. Um, his outing, he had four hit uh, four hits, four innings, five hits. Five runs, all of them earned one walk and four strikeouts, including a bomb that he gave up to Jose Altuve. So, who's just an absolute weapon that has been his entire career. That's another playoff veteran, you know, too. And we could, that's the thing. Astros and Rangers are full of guys that have been here before. Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager for the Rangers, uh, Lowe. Jose, and for the Astros, Michael Brantley, Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu, Tucker, Pena, Maldonado. I hate Maldonado, but he's a guy that's been there before, and geez, I mean, for how much I hate him and how much I believe he sucks, the Astros still believe that he's a good enough weapon to keep in their nine spot to roll for the last seven years, or however long that he's been a part of that roster now. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's been the same core for them for, for so long. You know, you order, I saw a thing saying, uh, I saw an article, uh, I wish I could credit the source because it was it was good, uh, that Jordan Alvarez is, is becoming the next big poppy in front of our own eyes. And like I'm like, all right, no one's ever going to be David Ortiz. But Bryce Harper kind of having this, the same effect too in terms of he is clutch. I mean, those are some of the most clutch bats that I have seen. I mean, Bryce Harper... Uh, the whole GED story to go to a junior college, go back, get everything, get your education. Um, 18 was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16. Like the story, and then like no, no, and everybody just be, had the had the dirtbag look, the pretty boy face, and the, the the flowing hair. And then he had the attitude with the Nationals. and got into a couple fights with Hunter Strickland, and you know there was a lot of people against him because they just I don't know they just don't like to see the golden boy get there but he, he didn't take the golden boy persona once he started getting frustrated um he obviously was was kind of up and down for a period there in washington and but since he's found a home in philly th- this guy can play ball and, and and he's winning like mike trout's a talented baseball player probably one of the best we'll ever see um at least in my lifetime bryce harper is the same way but like he's won so even if he's not as talented as you think mike trout is uh bryce harper and again Jordan alvarez as well too like Man, some of these some of these guys are making true names for themselves with teams that are continuing to find success. But Bryce Harper really standing out for me, and of course you had the whole thing go on with Arcia uh, as well, um, which made it out. And then he took it personally, gave him the stare down around second. Like he embraces everything that the city of Philadelphia really is, um, 
bunch of dirtbags led by said dirtbag. I mean, if you look at it in that opinion, I'm, I don't look that down on Bryce Harper, um, but I'm immensely impressed with what he's been able to not only just do overall from a talent perspective and overall production perspective, but how he's able to do it in the big moments. No, I definitely agree with that. And it's funny how Bryce Harper went from being like the most hated guy in the MLB, and now he's one of the most likable guys in the MLB right now. And it's because of his change to Philly. He He's embraced that Philadelphia culture, like you said. He's shown up when it matters most. Even in that first year when the Phillies weren't going to do anything, he was still showing up, making highlight plays. Grant's walk-off Grant slam. What regular season game that has no meaning because the Phillies were already, I think the Phillies were already out of it at that point, but it, or they weren't even considered to be a playoff team prior to all the weapons that they gathered. But, you know, that was a packed crowd, I remember, and that place friggin' lit up. And that's the other thing, too, is the Phillies their biggest strength so far has been feeding off that home crowd and everyone right now is saying that the bank is the toughest place to play and that's the reason right there it's the energy level that they're giving their guys to perform at the highest level yeah like i said the standing the standing ovation for trey turner and their their season flipping around and getting into the dance i mean of course dave dombrowski i don't know why the red sox can't get general managers like dave dombrowski um, as a Red Sox fan, it'd be great to have a guy like Dave Dabrowski. I'm sure we've never ran into the likes of a general manager like that that can put together a championship team in a short period of time. But, you know, if we do That's run it. Thing. It sucks <laughs> that we have these general managers like Dombrowski, and he performs at a high level, and then we figure out, oh, he's not doing what we actually need him to do. I mean, here's the thing about Dombrowski. The... The sad thing about all those World Series at or the World Series that that was the great one, probably the greatest assembled baseball team we will ever see. One of them, considering like, considering what the 100 even, win teams did this year, yeah, absolutely. They only lost three playoff games that entire postseason, and every single game you did not think that they were out of it at all, even even when they were down four nothing against the Dodgers in game four and you're like oh here we go again like slow start again and lo and behold granted the Dodgers also shot themselves in the foot that year because they couldn't because Dave Roberts kept going with the analytics but um, that's that's another thing too is that you know we saw with the Blue Jays how analytics more times than not kind of shoots you in the foot and it's I, I love analytics. I love the sabermetrics. I don't mind it at all. But there comes a time where you need to have a feel for the freaking game, man. You can't... I get the whole analytics of uh, you got to take your, starter, your starting pitcher out once you get to, like, the third time through the order or whatever the hell it is. Like, that that's how much I care. I don't care about it because it's such a stupid thing to live by. Because if you got a guy that's dealing out there, let him go. Save some arms. Why do you why do you have to feel the need to take out your starter and throw in a reliever that for all we know is probably all all jittered up now, he's a little nervous. Oh man, now I gotta I didn't even think I was gonna come in because it's a five nothing game. 
and now he's all nervous that he's got this five-run lead, and all of a sudden it's gone because you couldn't just leave a starter out there. And you finished the job. They paid Barrios a ton of money to come in there and be an ace in a game like that to do the work. And I mean, again, like you might, and I'm not saying it has to be like set in stone all the time, but like when it comes to the regular season, yes, go with the analytics. If the analytics say pull them, pull them. You know, you're in it for the long haul. If it's working, it's working. The projections are the projections. But the second you start getting into um, the end of the season, games that matter, sometimes you just have to know. You know when you know. You know, and like if you know, you know. Yeah. I guess you can you can make jokes about it too. Whatever. It's cliche. Go all the way down. But like sometimes it just you have you have to turn it off, and you just have to know when to stick with a guy. You have to know when. And again, like you look at analytics, maybe they would have told you to take Pedro Martinez out in 2003. Maybe they maybe they wouldn't have. I I don't know what it would have been in that specific situation as an example. But overall, sometimes you have to just know when to just go with your gut. This feels right. This is this is my guy. We're gonna roll him, and that's it. You're gonna get crushed either way if it goes wrong. But at the end of the day, I'd rather know go go down swinging knowing I made the decision myself than some computer projection telling me in a computer being wrong and knowing that I you know in, I will take blame myself for keeping him out there saying oh I, you know I'm not gonna hide behind the analytics I'm not gonna say oh the analytics support X Y and Z and that's why we did it no no I wanted to keep him out there he got shelled at Tommy or I wanted to pull him. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't hide behind it anymore, and that's what I would want more of in terms of that sense. And I'm not saying every coach is going to do it. Every coach uh, specifically has done it, but y- you know that's my my way of, like, of of seeing it. Where it gets into those moments, like I don't want it to be anybody's fault. I want it to be my guys. I don't want it to be a computer. I don't want it to be me. I have trust in my players, my guys, and they got to go get it done. I like keeping it in the back of my mind and in certain situations. But at the end of the day, in those moments, they're making their names in the postseason. There's like we've mentioned many of them. There's moments to be made. There's the Kurt Schilling bloody sock game. Like, and it looks probably going to tell you to pitch an injured guy. So, like, there's certain moments. And, by the way, Kurt Schilling's comeback. But, um, yeah. but, but this, like, those situations, are, they weren't made in a computer projection. They were made because guys had nuts to go out there and do what needed to be done. And it came out on the other side. Yeah. And that's obviously the problem, too. And, you know, the whole Pedro thing is just the analytics did you say the analytics probably could have said yeah he probably shouldn't have kept him in there in 2003 but he was he was well over 100 pitches that and he was that was like the beginning of him getting rocked and the crowd was getting back into it that's when you need to make the change because especially if your starter's over 100 pitches in a game seven and once you see that the wheels are starting to fall off, then you can jump shit. But, like, you just got to let your guys go. And that's that's the whole thing. If we see, if we were to see more starters go longer, then you'll see a more, more open bullpen. More arms will be available at that point. Take, a, take back to that 2018 year. The saw that uh 18 inning game three world series nathan avaldi comes in to what the 12th 13th inning saved so many arms never never mind him just shoving for like almost a full baseball game till four in the morning it's yeah it it was the fact his heroics isn't in him pitching almost a full ass game it's him saving his his team's arms because 
you go into the next game and the Sox didn't have a great start to game four, who knows who's available for game four if Eovaldi doesn't do all those innings. Yeah. That's another, that's another veteran that's on uh, the Rangers right now that had an incredible game Oh, two. dude. I... The, some like just some can some can't you remember in the last dance they were talking about like some can do it some can't like michael jordan like he can when he's healthy just look he, he's got stones man he's got stones just another name out there that just my like when he, he just shows up and when it's a big moment if he's healthy he's gonna shove and proving it yet again um in this postseason run with the rangers and again it's another yeah, I've never been opposed to the Rangers. I mean, they're still looking, I believe, hunting for their first World Series still because they had that loss to the Cardinals back in the day, the David Freeze-led Cardinals. Um, the, Joe, the, the Joe Buckall, and the, yep, the Giants won as well. So then Neftali Feliz back in the day. Now they got all this chat, and they just love having fireballers um, out of the pen back in the, the Michael Young days, the Josh Hamilton days. My goodness, what a what a little error they had there. Ron, Ron Washington coaching them. Yeah, I mean, my childhood. I mean, that was like MLB 10 to MLB League 12 to show. Yeah, that was, that was certainly yeah. – that was right in my I was right in my ballpark. But like I said, overall, I'm interested to see what they'll end up doing with the format too with these 100-win teams, counting it back to that too with the games. I've seen a couple, yeah, that was, couple yeah, that of different things. Yeah, talking point um, that I saw on Twitter at least was people saying that maybe they should shrink the game, uh, the amount of games down. Because, you know, those 100-win seasons don't mean anything now. But it's you, you also have the same argument of, okay, well, sure, the regular season might not matter at that point, but playoffs still matter. You still got to show up. You know, the Orioles can get all this rah-rah about being a 100-win team, but they were just too young for their own good. And that's just the long and the short of it. It's the same thing if a team, I mean, granted this is hockey, but say last year with the Bruins, you know, they had a historic season. But the problem is you have old-ass Bergeron, old-ass Krejci on your top two lines that are literally about to retire within the next two months. It's, granted, the Bruins had an amazing depth in general that year. But you can only go so far when you have old guy, like guys that are either too old or too young. Granted, you know you can still make do with that. Don't get me wrong, but experience at the end of the day is gonna by far be the deciding factor. Even the Astros, the Astros were making some playoff runs early on in the 2010s, uh, or more the middle, but they were still making the playoffs. Granted, they weren't making it very far, but they were still making it and making their name. And then once they finally got to that 2017 series and got it done, granted, amid scandals, but that's just a, an example of a team that battled out through the postseason the years prior. They finally got their opportunity, and they took advantage of it. They got the job done, and it's because of their experience. Yeah, I mean, you have it has to be the right experience, right? Like if you have a lot of young guys and a lot of old guys that are not on the same page that are ten to twelve years apart, it's going to be kind of like the old okay boomer type <laughs> type response to them, yeah. right? You need to have the right mesh of people that are respected. You need to have the hierarchy. You can't just have o- older players in there that are old that have experience that don't have the ability uh, to voice it to lead in a certain way. 
you just need the right personalities to match in that clubhouse to be able to rally around. Um, clearly, these teams have found that and have you know solid managers that are leading them um, as well. And again, you mentioned that Bruins thing. I mean, in that like in that instance where they they brought older guys back in, and this might be the case with the Rangers and Scherzer in terms of like being able to look at the two. Right? You have you have veterans that have done it before. Um, I still think underachieved overall, but still, uh, you had veterans that done it that were dealing with injuries that they brought back into uh, the lines. They rotated back in. That took away from guys that maybe were playing well, younger guys, different guys that were playing well up to that point. But they were like, "Hey, no, they've done it before. We're gonna bring them back into the the fold." And it totally flipped it the other way. So the Rangers win the first two games of the series, and again, they very well could come back and win tonight. But as it stands right now, are down. They bring Scherzer back after not having pitched since September 12th. That might be something that. Totally flips the momentum too if the if Houston can take two in Texas now. I mean, well, still in Texas, but you know, in the ballpark in our in, in the ballpark in Arlington because they lost two in Houston. Um, or no, that they lose. Yeah, they lost two in Houston. And they're in they're in the ballpark in Arlington right now, right? Or am I totally totally flipped on that? I, I could have. Am I crazy no, to think? No, they're in. No, they're in Arlington right. They're now. in Arlington. Now. Okay, so they they dropped the first two at home. Now they very well could you know beat Scherzer and then they're just one away from tying this up and home field being back in their advantage so again like to, to your reference of the Bruins team that could very well be uh, a, a similar aspect but again in terms of like how you break down these teams I mean the MLB is not going to get rid of I think this actually I mean, we, they've talked about expansion which would allow which would kind of like offset this if you did expansion once again which I think that considering the league was growing this year the league did grow in viewership uh, substantially the pitch clock was a tremendous uh, as much as I didn't like it uh, a lot of the things they've done for the pace of the game has been tremendous they aren't juicing the baseballs offense is still a thing uh, the base is being a little bigger the pitch well, clock offense is, offense is still a thing because they got rid of the shift that's why yeah the shift as well too so the, the rules and changes that they made I think uh, have been positive and that's why the game ha- did grow again this season they probably brought some people back um, and then you could look to, on top of that to continue to build but Expansion is a possibility, but again, I'm maybe ultimately you said that the D, the, the DS should be a seven game series. You very well could get rid of the wild card. You know, you could uh, no, yeah, well, maybe not the wild or get get rid of two of the wild cards, and you very well could do. You know, I, one one I, play I one play think. one plays the wild card, and two plays the three in the DS. You do a seven game DS set, and then you just go to the CS and you go to the World Series, but. There's there's a couple, and then I saw one too where you can keep it at three games for the wild card, but you do game one one day, then a travel day, then a double header, and then you have like you know th- there was too much time between those games. Those teams got into a rhythm. They were in the playoff rhythm so much, and in in, I mean I'm not trying to make it, make excuses here, but from this outlook at least it was those teams were in such a rhythm of play, travel, rest play play travel rest play and then all of a sudden you have it you're just grooving now you're in the rhythm and this team's trying to adjust your rhythm you're already rolling you know you're they're in motion so and the 100 teams couldn't keep up with that i mean some of them obviously um not not being the only reason that they went down but overall like there's a couple of different answers like you said shortening the regular season i've been a a big fan of that for a while you have to make the regular season mean more um Relegation is another one for me. I'd love to see some relegation, but hey, I mean, I, I'm open to, to all to all ideas here um, in terms of it. But I just, I, it could be a fluke. That, that four, but yeah, that 14 playoff you were talking about—that's what they used to have. Yeah, like when Sox were winning those 
World Series in the early 2000s or the in the mid 2000s. That's what they originally had was that 14 playoff. And I will disagree with the 14 playoff through and through because obviously you have the division winners and then you have the one wild card. Look at the other sports. You have the division winners and then for football you had the two wild cards and then because of COVID they went to three wild cards but baseball depended too much on you winning the division and having that one just one open slot I feel like is just so redundant to be honest because like I said baseball is such a funny sport that anything can happen and you could have the Diamondbacks and and the NLCS or um What's another team that... Well, the Nationals run was something. The Nationals oh, run yeah, to the, the World Nationals Series was run. something. That's, an, that's another run. Um, you know, I, I like what they have done with the playoff expansion that they've slowly now gotten us to that three wild card. The problem is that the wild card now, you know, you've taken away the importance of the wild card game by not having a one-game series, you made it a three-game series. And sure, it's for to get more money. You want to get more money? Make it a seven-game AL, a seven-game division series. Because that's what's going to drive the money. Especially a one-game wildcard playoff is especially going to raise that money. You kidding me? That That brings eyes. Oh, winner take all, just one game. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm tuning in for this. I'm tuning in for this shit. You kidding me? Could, part of my language, but regardless, <laughs> you, have, you have the one game wild card playoff, and then you go right into a seven game series. I, I would love that. I Just imagine, imagine if we had the Phillies and the Braves this year, seven game series, divisional series, because. That's just how the playoffs lined up. There's there's nothing you can do about that. Or 2018, the Sox and the Yankees face off in the divisional series, and we only saw five games out of that, where you would want a Sox-Yankees series to be a seven-game series. Anyone in their right mind would want two really good teams, never, never mind them being good teams, but hated rivals to go seven games. That's what drives the money. Is yeah. those especially those outlier stories, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's the greatest rivalry in sports and you want that to be a seven game series. You want that added dramatic effect. And I think that's kind of what we've lost a little bit, especially with going to the three game wild card is we've lost that dramatic effect. The um the other thing I looked at, too, of course, the year that the Red Sox did win that World Series and play the Yankees, I was um, present for David Price getting shelled, which actually gave way to our bullpen becoming the most dominant bullpen in the playoffs because they actually pitched so many innings that game, they actually got into a good rhythm. Um, that either here nor there. The other thing that uh, I've also pitched, too, is we have East and West conferences in the NBA, if the AFC, NFC, which is different. Um, but if the MLB the MLB is now done away with the pitcher hitting the National League, the DH is all around, you very well could restructure and have an East and West 
instead of having the divisions, so you could have the top seven teams from each conference in the per se, like East and West Coast, which would change the amount of like travel and road trips and stuff like that. In terms of watching games, you'd be able to watch more games in your time zone. There'd still be road trips that would require that, but you could do conferences more so than an AL and NL. You could do East versus West, and that would kind of change like not having an emphasis on division winners, but it would allow it to just be more wide open. But then again, when you have teams tanking the way that the MLB does, which you don't even need to tank, like they just take the revenue deals and just don't spend any money. Even the Red Sox are doing it at this point too, just continuing to spend less and less, even though their revenue is ridiculous because it changes obviously how much money they can make. Um, that's another pitch that I think I would have too is like maybe, hey, maybe we start doing conferences. Um, it's not something traditional baseball people want to hear, but if you told them that, um, we would know that shifts would have been a thing and then shifts weren't going to be a thing and that there was going to be a pitch clock. And you have to would have mandatorily have to face three batters and all that stuff. Like, obviously, uh, the game has changed and the game has to adapt. And I'm glad that it did. Uh, I think it adapted a little bit quicker, um, not quicker, but it adapted too much altogether. They did too much at once because they failed uh, to adapt at a pace that other leagues had, and that's why they suffered. But I'm glad it worked out because it was very well at a point where if they didn't do something, it was going to continue to hurt the game. But if what they did did not work the way it did would have also hurt the game it would have sent it backwards so i'm glad that it all worked out in a way but i think that the playoff formatting is something that they're going to have to take a peek at but hopefully they're as proactive with that or more proactive than they have in the past and hopefully it works out um the way that a lot of the changes that they made going into the season uh played out but i'll i'll close up baseball there because we're getting close to the hour mark, I'm sure we could go on all day about baseball. I mean, we talked with we talked yeah, about the we, we, we went a mile for that. Jeez, uh, Brockton Rocks. I think we hit off like 20 minutes right off the bat. So I'll have this chopped up and segmented up. But uh, we'll get into football now, which again, bread and bread and butter right now. It's just right right smack in the middle of the season. So uh, yeah. we'll we'll just start overall with the we'll stick with three up three down and we're going to do it and i guess we kind of have a part two of the three up three down with the weekly pick them we're going to have three we're going to pick uh both pick three games um and we're going to see we're against the spread uh going into this week and we're going to see uh, who can come out on top and obviously i can react to that in the next episode and finally back in a more consistent swing of posting um and while we're at it too i'll link all your socials and stuff the fumble ruski will be able to i'll throw it all in the description We'll plug it all. But overall, uh, three up, three down. Uh, not particularly power rankings, but teams that have surprised us um, so far and also teams that have disappointed us, which for me, um, this is kind of a uh, it's kind of a weird one because like there's some teams that like we like that may have might be bad, but like we were still expecting to be bad, but have been substantially worse because like you look at teams like the Bears and the Panthers, like if you were to power rank them, yes, they are some of the worst teams in the league by far. But have they disappointed me? No, they haven't disappointed me because I kind of expected that. Some people might have expected more from those teams. But just that being noted, that's kind of how we're looking at this. So uh, for me, I'm going to start off with the three disappointing teams. My first uh, disappointment was the New England Patriots. I'm sure, Chris, I'm sure you share uh, yeah, my, opi- was, my opinion with that there. Mine as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean... I didn't expect them to be good. I did not expect them to be this bad. Like The thing that <laughs> sucks as a Pats fan is that you expected, you know, you you saw everything wrong with last year and the main denom- or the main denominator was um 
was about Patricia, right? You got some you got some rocket scientist defensive coordinator that's calling the offensive plays and um if you know football and you follow football enough you know that defensive minded guys are going to be more conservative and that was a huge problem with the patriots they were too conservative last year they didn't they almost never took many shots you know third and eight they're running little halfback slip screens you know and that's not gonna that doesn't cut it you got to take your shots when when you when you're given the chance you got to take your shots and that's what the pats weren't doing last year and so you bring in bill o'brien and you, you get rid of Johnny Smith, you bring in Mike Mike Jasicki, and in my eyes, when we brought in Bill O'Brien, we upgraded a little bit at tight end. I was like, well, jeez, man, we're gonna have Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski 2.0, not exactly to to the extent that they were during 2010 to 2012, but we'll get it pretty damn close, and then. Yeah, have two, I wouldn't say really good weeks, but really competitive weeks against some really good teams. And that drove the hope up a lot. And then you have the Jets game. And, you know, my hope didn't really go down from that game because, you know, it's a divisional opponent. They're always, divisional opponents are always going to be tough. To, and this isn't going to be the Brady era where you're just going to, where they would just run through everyone. You know, you, you know you're going to be in for a tough matchup. And especially with how good the Jets' defense is right now, too. Especially that win against the Eagles this past weekend. They freaking shut everything down. And especially with the injuries that they had in the secondary. And then you go into Dallas and you think, well, we might not win this game, but it'll, it should be competitive. And then they get their shit kicked in. And it's like, what? Okay, all right. This isn't great. This is the worst game we've seen from Mac, but can't get much worse than this. And then the Saints game happens. And it's like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I was there, man. I was, I was watching the Zappy chances. Yeah, I back. saw your snap stories, man. I, I, had a, I had a buddy from Plymouth who, uh, who was also a Saints fan that was at that game. Um, but, like, everything just for – how bad Mac is is one thing you know you can't get away from that Mac has been really bad but at the end of the day it also comes down to Belichick being the GM and his old ass just his GM duties need to be revoked but the problem is that if his GM duties get revoked he's not going to want to coach at New England anymore and he's going to go somewhere else where he can rule over the entire organization and that's been a huge problem. And granted, like, he stacked up the defense pretty well. You know, you get guys like Christian Gonzalez. You sign Matt Judon. You get uh, Dewan Bentley. You draft Keon, uh, Keon White. And uh, you bring in Jabril Peppers. I love Jabril Peppers, by the way. He is he's a dog. I freaking love him. But... It seems like you're all set for the defensive side because, A, you were already all set last year, and, B, you basically reloaded this year on the defensive side. And then offensively, all you really did was uh, you signed Juju to the same amount of money that you should have signed Jacoby Myers, and you signed Mike Jasicki, who hasn't really done a whole lot. And on top of that, you draft two 
receivers in late rounds that make two plays that aren't necessarily their fault early on in the season, and now they're just healthy scratches from here on out for basically no reason, but Bill just having a stuck-up pride and ego. Um, just everything that the talent, they, they can't play from behind, they can barely play from in front. It's... The thing is, like, all of Pats Nation is is kind of on the tank for Caleb Williams bandwagon, but no one in the NFL actually tanks, you know? No, no one in any sport really tanks because the players and the coaches out there are fighting their for their freaking lives. Mm-hmm. It's the organization that tanks, not the coaches or the players. So you know that the Pats are still going to rattle off maybe, like... I'd say the Pats are still going to rattle off, like, five wins at the very least, but no, they're not going to come close to tanking for Caleb Williams. There is a lot of teams worse than the Patriots, and that is saying something. Um, but that's what a lot of people forget, too. There's, there's a lot of teams worse that are worse off uh, than the Pats. And I was when I was up there, I sat next to a guy who goes, I've watched these Patriots for 23 years win you know, one of the greatest dynasties ever. And he got up and he's like, but I have seen enough today and know that I'm happy enough. I'm not bitter. I'm happy, but I've seen enough today. He got up and left the third quarter. Um, and as the Saints fan, it was happy for me. And that's another uh, team that, again, I'm biased. That's one. It's not one of my disappointing teams, but uh, no, they, you know, they're certainly underachieving. But you know, staying... I will say one last thing before we move on to the other teams to finish off my Patriots rant. You know, it, the biggest thing to come out of this too is that the rumor we well is circling right now. You want to know what that rumor is? Lucas, you want to know what that rumor is? What is that rumor? Robert Kraft is pissed. He is pissed right now. For good reason. You just got done with a twenty-three with a twenty-year dynasty, and this is what Bill Belichick cooks up for you? Are you kidding me? Especially with the way Max rookie year was. What? I would not be surprised if we have such a bad year that Kraft just pulls the plug on Belichick but that's the thing is are you going to pull the plug on the entire thing or give him the ultimatum of hey we're going to pull you from GM you can still coach but if you don't then get out of here I totally agree with the the, revoking his GM duties it's clear that they have been out talented uh, they've been out drafted uh, they've they've made countless mistakes in personnel departments they are not um, the players that they have that are talented, the discipline is not there the way it used to be. Clearly, um, his GMing, I guess that's a verb, um, his general managing uh, has affected the his ability to coach. You know, he's doing both, and he was so long, he would bring in, you know, uh, the parcels. If you, you know, want somebody to cook, you ought to let him buy the groceries. And it, for, you know, it worked for as long as it did, and the Patriot way became a thing, and he bring in guys that maybe didn't seem as talented but did certain things right. But now that, like, I think it's affected his ability. Like, he's he's been outclassed in terms of, like, the talent department, in terms of, like, bringing in talent, in terms of drafting so much um, that it's harmed his coaching. And I totally agree that he, he, he probably still coached in this league. Um, but I, I don't think the GM thing right now is something that he, he can maintain, that he can continue to do. So I totally totally agree with you there and craft being pissed it wouldn't shock me because like 
I know there's a lot of stuff that people didn't put their name to. Seth Wickersham wrote the report and unnamed sources, but people in the media know you can and can't name sources. And while I might not believe everything that took place in all of those stories, I do believe uh, that at the end of the day, Robert Kraft wants to win. Uh, and I think the whole thing where, uh, you know, the whole get rid of Garoppolo, Brady didn't want Garoppolo around, and Kraft si- uh, sided with Brady and it created a rift with Belichick. To an extent, I do believe that there is a, there's been kind of a disconnect there since uh bill let tom leave um of course and, and, or not just let him leave but, but was kind of the reason that you know one of the reasons that you know kind of pushed brady away i do believe that there is some of that i'm sure that being around bill for that period of time it's it's tough to do yeah that that's the whole reason why brady even left to begin with is because bill wasn't doing enough to bring guys in you know brady bitched and moaned about bringing in ab and josh gordon granted those two obviously didn't pan out after one week but what is what does Bill do then? Oh, let's get Mohamed Sanu. Past his prime, Mohamed Sanu. We're not talking about 2016 Falcons, Mohamed Sanu. We're talking about 2019. Never really had a prime. He had a good year. <laughs> he, regardless, he was still good for the Falcons. And for some reason, we decided it was a good idea to sign him on. And Julian Edelman is just a slot guy. It's all he, he was a great amazing receiver for what he did for the Patriots but you can't consider him as a true number one he's just a slot guy that made it big and that's really the whole uh, on top of that too Philip Dorsett another just a slot guy that's all he was I can't even tell you who else was the receiving core on that team it's not even coming to mind because that's how garbage it was but yeah, and oh, don't, my even get me start, don't even get me started on the tight ends, too, because they're, they were just Devin Asiasi. That's the only name I can give you. Um, I think, what else do they have? Um, one of the Hollisters, right? One of the Hollisters was there. But that oh, was... actually, uh, I think Jacob Hollister and Benjamin Watson also came yeah, back. Yeah, Ben Watson came back from the Saints, which was, again, whoo, he was, he was up there in age. Uh, my closing points with the Patriots are that they're going to have if the most cap space coming up, if not one of the highest uh, open cap spaces, they're going to have a legitimate draft pick, and they're going to make they're going to have to make a legitimate decision at the quarterback position. Uh, Mac is not the an- Mac is not the answer. That is prevalent. Is he the problem? I won't go that far just yet. He's I I don't think Mac's the answer, but I don't think he's the problem either. Um, I think they could do more in terms of like. You know, you look at his rookie year. I mean, every other – I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because every other young quarterback in the league that shows any form of promise in their first two years, they use all the money that they could be paying to him, but because it's on his rookie deal, they bring in weapons around him. They did not surround him with anything. Um, they, they they spent poorly in that in, in their off seasons to build around him, and they did not give him weapons that um, he's been able to make good use with. And they've hurt his confidence, put him in bad situations with coaching and the coaching staff, but – at the end of the day, decisions have to be made and things have to change. I don't think that the Patriot way um, is going to continue to exist in the way that it has been pitched to this dynasty and to this fan base and to the NFL uh, for over the last 20 years. It no longer exists in that way. And if things don't change, you're going to continue to see um, the true, truthfully abysmal failure uh, that has been the Patriots franchise uh, this season. And again, you've seen like the downward uh, a trend even since you had a promise I, I mean I don't know how you trend so far badly after having such a promising rookie season out of a quarterback that you drop drafted in the first round I think they've scrambled their opportunity to build around Mac and I don't think he's a true Super Bowl winning quarterback 
but I think he's a playoff caliber quarterback when surrounded by the right pieces, and I, they just cannot we're unable to put that around him. And I think it is past a period of time where they can do that. But now you just have to understand that if you go quarterback again, it might not be a true situation where you can actually build around a quarterback because if you couldn't do it with Mac, what makes you think you're gonna be able to do it with the next first rounder? Um, that's where I'll close out the Patriots because good lord, there's so much to talk about a team that has been so bad. Um, so my next disappointing team. The Bengals have been disappointing to me. I think uh, Joe Burrow and the and the Bengals um, have, have certainly been disappointing. They, I mean, he got hurt early, uh, and this is something with Burrow. Um, not particularly his fault when he got all jammed up with uh, the knee injury, but then again, I mean, once once that happens, once main injuries are obviously a part of the game. Um, once it pops up, though, the health becoming an issue. But the offensive line, clearly an issue uh, for the Bengals. But they've been able to rattle off two wins in a row, and that was a solid win over the Seahawks as much as I wanted the Seahawks to cover the spread um, in that game. Where may or may not have been rooting for the Seahawks very hard at the end there because it looked like they were actively trying to lose the game. Either way, they've, they've surged back in. The Browns' defense was legit. I think Burrow was coming back from, from the injury. Then the loss to the Ravens. Been in a lot of close games. That Titans one was the one for me where it was like, oof. And then for a period of time, you know, the Cardinals hung tough. But it doesn't look like the same. I mean, other than that, Cardinals win with Jamar Chase. It, it truthfully doesn't look like the same team we saw get to a Super Bowl. And we saw that, like, to start to really think would, would challenge Patrick Mahomes and the Chief, Chiefs for this next uh, AFC dynasty in a way. Yeah, and, you know, go back to that uh, Joe Burrow injury. You know, he got that pretty – when you get that during preseason, uh, like almost that, before like, like preseason like, games took over, I think it was like right before like yeah. true training camp started. But you know, it. My original thought was, you know, he's just getting back. Maybe he got back too early. Maybe he's just got to rebuild that chemistry again because that was a big thing that I was saying about the Bengals last year with those with their early struggles, that they were working with a new offensive line. And you can have the entire rest of the offense have all the chemistry in the world, the receivers, tight ends, quarterback, the running back. They can have all the chemistry in the world, but if your line isn't on the same page, then you can just throw everything out the window because and once the line finally figured it out, that's when the Bengals started to do good again. They started to pick up wins and they started to make that deep playoff run that they were predict uh, predicted to do. This year, I don't even know. It, I just think that Burrow came back too early, and now we're at the point of no return where if they lose the next two, now you're in trouble. Um, granted, um, in our most recent episode on the Fumble Ruski podcast, uh, CJ Medeiros did say that if they were to lose the next two, then they should just shut Burrow down until he gets healthy again. I would have just shut him down a month ago, to, like before the season started. Get that guy healthy. You don't. There's 17 weeks or 17 games in the season. You might as well be in it for the long run instead of just throwing your her quarterback out there to the wolves and just let him run. It's it's not good for the confidence. It's not good for health, and it just seems like Burrow just his knee just gets. That leg just looks worse and worse every week, and you, you just wonder when they're going to pull the plug or 
I feel like they won't pull the plug if they do lose the next two. But if they do get to that 6-7 loss column, though, they're going to pull the plug. I mean, 49ers-Bills coming up. Able to beat the Cardinals, Seahawks. That Titans loss is the one that I think stings the most because they beat the Rams. The Browns and the Ravens, the two divisional matchups right away. Like, if you bench them for the – not bench them, but you sit them for those – Right, you sit in for those. Maybe you sit in for the Rams game, but maybe you don't sit in for the Rams game. You get those first two weeks off, they hung tight with the Ravens. It was they got blown out by the Browns, so clearly that might have been too soon. And I don't know what you would have been going into with that game. If it was, I think Jake Browning was <laughs> was that the guy that they were going to go to, um, the former Washington guy there. Um, and then again, maybe maybe he makes the return healthy against the Titans on the road. So you go Titans, Cardinals, Seahawks wins. Maybe you beat the maybe you get one of those first three games to win either way with the backup, uh, and then you have him healthy and you're back in content. You're still with the same record, but you got a completely healthy Joe Burrow going to these next couple games. Um, again, it just doesn't seem like they have the same the same swagger that they once had. Look, like they haven't they've been kind of disconnected. And again, as Zach Taylor continues to call plays, obviously defenses have more and more film and they'll respond that way, but. Um, it just it hasn't they haven't had the same energy in my opinion and that's why it's been disappointing it hasn't been the same Bengals team uh, that I think we've been so we've been so used to and the same energy and the same Joe Burr same confidence that we have from those guys it hasn't been there uh, for me to see I don't think it's been there for them on the field and that's why uh, they've been one of the more disappointing teams for me in terms of where I expected them uh, to be I'll let you I don't know if you agree with me there with the Bengals in the second with your second pick but if you do have a second pick uh, Feel free to let it rip. No, I completely agree with the Bengals. That Pats and Bengals were definitely going to be my top two. Um, I'll let you lead with your third now, if you want. There before we get into, it. we might even have the same third. But uh, lead, go, you know, you can lead away with uh, your third and final disappointing team. Um, I don't know. I I, I want to say the Broncos, but I just say the Broncos so much that just like <laughs> it's just I don't want to say it anymore. So. We'll say Broncos for a third, but I'll give you a fourth. I'll say the Vikings. Yeah. Um, last, I don't want to say last year was a fluke because you can really tell how good a team is by how they handle tough situations. And the Vikings, what do they have? Like they won of the- eleven games. All eleven games that they played that were within one score, they mm-hmm. won. That. Never gonna you know, happen that again. Definitely, def- never gonna happen again. That truly defines a team, the way that they handle adversity. This year, just seems that they can't find that same magic, and now we're seeing the problems really get elevated compared to what it was last year. The Vikings had a lot of problems last year, but they got washed away by what their record. I and now totally we're seeing agree. it all and now we're seeing it all come crashing down. Yeah, defense they've they've been lacking in the defensive department, haven't been able to correct that. I mean Kirk Cousins has still been fantastic, obviously Justin Jefferson picking up the injury now. Um, and that's the crazy thing too, is that Jettas and Kirk were both on record setting paces too, and now here we are, Jefferson's hurt. You're gonna have, you're gonna see more Jordan Addison and KJ Osborne, which I'm gonna love. I I'm a big Jordan Addison guy. Before like during the fantasy drafts, I was like, all right, where is this? Where is Jordan Addison? I need to, I need to pick him up. And then I actually made a trade 
um, in a dynasty league. Sorry, a little off topic, but I made a trade in a dynasty league about a right before the first uh, first week. And I traded Jordan Addison and I think a second round pick or something for uh, Devonta Smith. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is great. I, I got a great, great piece because I had Jordan Addison just sitting on my bench and Lord knows if I'm actually going to ever start him. But he ended up be, becoming a great wide receiver too. I'm going to love to see what he does with the Vikings and maybe if Kirk's still the quarterback next year. But. We'll see what happens with that, but all in all, Vikings are done. It it's a it's a, the only thing I will say is it's such a weak division outside of the Lions. If they can, can if they can do damage in the remaining games against the Packers and Bears, um, but I just don't see them getting into that point because there's a lot of teams in the NFC that I think are in better off position now, uh, considering yeah. their starts. And I think you'll see a lot of teams like that were there last year uh, returning to the playoffs. Um, I'll I'll let it rip with the uh, final disappointing team you mentioned though what they're gonna do with kirk will be interesting whether they move him this year or next year is uh they, or let they him just walk said him. that uh they just i think i saw in a report either last week or right before this past week or um after sunday saying that they weren't gonna move him i don't think depend i guess it all depends on how things go and what the asking price for him could uh, obviously end up being. I mean, hey, if it, if it gets to the point where the price is right, I'm sure they'll be willing to make a move. But what team would be willing to do that? Yeah, at, at what but, point? But the problem is that if you send a quarterback, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to really word it, but like how say do you, you send a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, how, as the team that's receiving him, how do you implement him like into the game plan like get him to learn the playbook yeah yeah because because kirk is you got you're so in tune to one playbook mm-hmm. and then i gotta learn a whole other playbook like that basically and you know we saw it with baker mayfield last year and he got signed to the rams like however many days before their game and he ended up leading them to a win which was freaking baller but that's one of those outlier cases that those types of things happen. Whereas, I don't know if it would be the same result for Kirk. And Lord, Lord knows where Kirk would even get sent to at that point, too. Mm-hmm. Does he get sent to a team that is still kind of in the running and could see a change at quarterback? Or do you dump him to a team like the Patriots that aren't going to be in the running? And... Patriots are just looking for a guy to have for next year. Yeah, it's I, I yeah I think I think the the landing spots there would be interesting, but um, again, like the Jets are a team that very well you know teams are in the hunt. If a team is in the hunt, I don't I just don't see it ever working out like you said because it's just in terms of how you how do you transition like that. But a team looking to move for him now, I would just say just wait until he's a free agent because then. You know what I'm saying? Or wait till like, the asking price is going to be lower than it is in this season. So, I mean. Yeah, and if you send him to a team that's potentially contending, like 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 we were just saying, it's that's just seems like it's more harmful than Baker with the Rams last year because the Rams weren't going to make the playoffs. Yeah. And you just, tell, you just tell your guy to go out there and just have some fun and sling it around, you know? And... You kind of need to do that more with some of these young quarterbacks. Who is, you know, 
especially if you're like the Panthers or like the the Bears or something. You're like, you know what? We might not be good this year, but don't feel any pressure. Just go out there and freaking have fun. Yeah, get experience. Don't think too much. Just yeah, you know it. You're just here to learn, and everything's gonna be a learning curve. Don't think too much into it. We're not gonna throw a ton at you. We're just gonna. That's why Cam Newton was so successful in those early years with Carolina. They simplified everything down to a T. And they just let – they simplified it for Cam Newton. They simplified the playbook. They let him run. They let him just have some fun. And he ended up being the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, th- that's kind of where I think Anthony Richardson uh, with the Colts, it was kind of trending to, to go towards until – obviously uh the injuries and that's a tease towards some of the more positive teams but not in the way that you would think um my final disappointing team and it's a team that's four and two and is going to be a playoff team but the buffalo bills uh similar to the Bengals for me because like this is this is what like the whole thing is, is like disappointing is only based off your expectation for a team there's a lot of teams that have been terrible but like where your expectations are to where they are now um again the bills are another team where that that spark just doesn't seem to be there anymore or at least it does um at times but for me, it just hasn't been the same Bills team. You've seen uh, the Josh the Josh Allen turnover uh, turnover machine again against the Jets opening up, and then the loss to the Jaguars. I mean, they beat the Dolphins. They they destroyed the Commanders. They had a you know really good win over the Raiders, They're covering big spreads. But then they have this close one with the Giants that I think that um, if the Giants don't completely mismanage the clock, they win that game. I don't know if they don't come totally mismanage the clock before the first half there. They're, they're field goal away, and they were in, obviously in field goal range with the late uh, pass interference penalty. Uh, there'd be a 15-14 win with the, as a 15-point underdog. Um, that, that, that would have been the true deal uh, for the Giants in that game. And, again, this is, it, doesn't have, it hasn't the same sparkle for me. Um, but then, again, Josh Allen's get, getting older. Um, you know, can't continue to run him around like that in terms of you know, contact. I think he's dealing with – uh, injuries once again, which of course over the NFL season everybody's going to, but um, I don't understand why they can't find a way. To, I don't know if it's a coaching thing too uh, with McDermott. I do like McDermott, but it just seems that they just don't have enough edge to to really break over, break through and, and get into that team that everybody wants them to be. I think everybody wants them to be uh, that title contender, but I just don't think they're there, and I think they're getting further and further away from it than they were from being a coin toss away. Yeah, and the Bills are one of those teams that we were talking about that you kind of don't really know what you're going to get with them sometimes. Like, one game they could put up 48 on Miami, and the next game they can only get 14 on the Giants, but they're still squeaking out a win. And I'm just looking at uh, Josh Allen's stats right now, and even, like, Josh Allen, it's you barely even know what you're going to get with him. You know, you... You have the Jets, where he threw three interceptions, uh, 236 yards. They only put up 16. Next week, much better week, obviously, 31 for 37, three touchdowns. They put up 38. Next week, they have Washington, or I'll just quickly go through it. You know, Washington, they put up 37, 20 for 32. Touchdown, did have an interception. Miami gave his best game by far. They put up 48, only four incomplete passes, four touchdowns, 320 yards. Jacksonville. They only put up 20, but he did. He had a pretty good game. 359 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. Then we come to last week against the Giants, and it's not really that great of a game at all. 169 yards, interception, did have two touchdowns, but 
it's kind of the underlying factor of, especially with the Giants, too, and how much they stuck on prime time. <laughs> in general and, this year. In general. In general too, <laughs> it's but terrible. In, but in prime time, it just seems like they just stuck that much. <laughs> but um, it's, I don't know what it is. And the other problem, too, is that now Tredavious White's out the entire season. You don't know how... Lord knows how long Matt Milano is going to be out. You still have Von Miller that came back. You still got Ed Oliver, but it's, I don't know. And the rush game, too, has always been suspect. You don't really know what you're going to get out of James Cook sometimes. And Damian Harris now is going to be out for maybe the entire season. Like, he was really doing a ton of work for the Bills anyways, but... um, prayers up for him he did suffer a pretty bad neck injury but don't want to trash him too much yeah trust man too much for going down like that but it's the truth um and that's sadly that's what's what it's going to come down to again for the bills is if how far can josh allen take you how far can josh allen take you because you know you can have him be the world beater that he is in the past game, but you know you're going to get a lot of questionable decisions from Josh Allen, especially when it comes to the deep ball, and can you at least counter it with a, an effective running attack? I saw a post that said, like, when you're looking at Josh Allen now, the problem with Josh Allen is, and this is it's a blessing and a curse for Josh Allen, the Josh Allen you're going to get is only as good as the quarterback he's he's playing, is the team he's playing. So like in a sense, playing down a competition. Like he played like he when he plays against Mahomes, when he plays against uh, a Trevor Lawrence, when he plays against a Tua, and he, these big games, he lights it up. Plays against Terod Taylor, he plays like he's Terod Taylor. So I think there's some truth in that early in his career, and I don't know if that's a him thing or if that's a coaching thing, if it's a combination of the two. Uh, he never played in a lot of big games in college. He played at Wyoming. You know, he's not, and I'm not saying he's not clutch, but I'm saying like in terms of, you know, programs that he's come from, he, as he, you know, the NFL, it's a, any given Sunday type league is, is do they have the the right stability there in terms of uh, a team culture that puts him in a position to understand the importance of that and, you know, being able to, you know, really work on it. Because the more he matures in his career, I mean, we're seeing, we know what he is talent-wise. His decision-making process has really not improved. He really out-talents and out... Uh, out- I, I could ca- I'll counter you with uh, three interceptions only since that three-interception day against the Jets. So we're talking one, two, three, four, five weeks with three interceptions. Not great, but he's at least picking up by throwing a ton of tutties, you know? He's yeah. Got 14 touchdowns to three interceptions. I'll take that any day of the week, especially if you're going to put up 30-plus points and your defense can do the job. But like I said, with the looming injuries and you got old man Vaughn Miller coming around on the edge, how far will defense even – how long will defense even be able to hold up? Mm -hmm. And when he does happen to do those turnovers, yes, you make up for a touchdown. But um, especially in those moments where it's like you take those risks, like you put the defense on a short field that isn't as reliable as, you know, one you would want – um, in other situations, like that becomes a discussion. But then again, they are four and two. How wrong? How bad can things really be? 
Um, if you're four and two is the question, if you're the Bengals at three and three, how bad can things really be? Because it could be worse. You could be in, you could be on the flip side of those records. You could be uh, you know, the Bengals could only have one win. You know, they, they might not have beat the Rams in that game. So again, there's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of things that could be worse for a couple of teams. Uh, the Patriots, though, I don't think things could be much worse for. Uh, <laughs> but those are our those are our disappointing teams so far this season. Now. Uh, looking at the positive teams, there's two teams that are really well that I thought were going to do very well. And I thought were playoff caliber teams, um, and there's one in there that you know hasn't achieved anything yet, but have certainly um, surprised me. And we'll start it off with the Miami Dolphins, the you know, the best offensive team uh, in the league. They've been super super impressive. Uh, Mike McDaniel, I think he's just having fun with it at this point. He has so many athletes and so many speed demons at his disposal of course Shane's gonna miss some time but overall um what they've been able to get out of Tua um the vote of confidence McDaniel's given him and everything when when he's upright and he's not getting his head slammed onto turf um he's pretty good (laughs) he's very good um and I think they continue to keep him upright with the weapons that they have as long as given those guys stay healthy um this is I mean they didn't lose and what would be considered like a pre-playoff type matchup to the Bills, but uh, overall, I mean, I I think that the, this Dolphins team is a team that again should expect themselves uh, to get to at least an AFC Championship game, and overall have been really impressive and health pending. I th- I think this is a team that you know down the road uh, should certainly feel like a contender, and I think we should expect to be one. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that, and. The only thing that's really going to stop them is either defense or injuries. Uh, and sadly, we just saw this past week Tyreek having a minor injury. Uh, obviously, he got two of his concussions from last year. But, you know, they, they've held up for the, their end for the most part. They're going to have a really tough contest against the Eagles coming up. But all in all, it's should be looking pretty well for them, in my opinion, especially with, like, you know, speed demons like Atani and how you even say his name. I, I know. It's, it's Devon Ashane, I believe, is how it, it's Ashane, been. Pre- whatever. <laughs> but you got guys like him, Moster. You're gonna have Jeff Wilson coming back from IR as well. Um, obviously Tyreek and Waddle. It's. I think that they'll definitely, like you said, if healthy, they will make a run at the AFC Championship, but. Once you see one of those guys go down, the whole thing is going to implode. Yeah, because you have to maintain that high level of offense to make up for the defense. But again, they're going to get Jalen Ramsey back as well, too. So maybe that can change things a little bit. I still like a little bit more of a, being able to rush with four is a big thing. That leads me to my next point with the next team in terms of surprising teams. Uh, the Detroit Lions being next up there in the list uh, for me. Again, I expected the Lions to be a good team. Did I expect them to be a Super Bowl contender? No. But um, I've talked about it in the last podcast. I'll talk about it again here. They, they meet the criteria. And I don't want to sound like Isaiah Thomas in the last dance, but they do. They 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 can rush with four. Their defense has some play, they have some playmakers on defense that can defend the pass, but they're able to get pressure with four. They don't have to simulate pressure. They don't have to send a lot of it. They have a guy like Aiden Hutchinson that they can get there with four. They have a strong O line, one of the strongest O lines ranking in the league, uh, with some youth on it as well. Do they protect the passer? They have confidence in the quarterback. They have a veteran quarterback, a quarterback that can make plays. They can beat you in multiple ways offensively. So if you can rush with four, you have an O-line that can pick up third and shorts but can also protect the passer. You have a quarterback that can get a top 10 quarterback in the league, Jared Goff. So you have a top 10 quarterback. You can get after the quarterback with four. You have a strong O-line. 
And you have a strong, again, rushing with fours, partially with uh, having a strong D-line. And you have you have a sustainable coaching staff, too. You've, you've, been, you've had the same system. I don't think teams that are doing it in their first year, but now you've been in the same system for, for a couple of years now with Dan Campbell. So I think you have... You have sustainability. You can get to the passer with four. You can protect your quarterback, and you can pick up third and shorts with a strong O-line. Overall, I think that they meet the criteria for a team that, again, health really being the only thing. This is a true Super Bowl contender, at least in my opinion. It sounds crazy to talk about the Lions in that way and Jared Goff in that way, but I, the, the eye test for me, along with passing those couple of criteria for me, mean that they mean business. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I'm still not completely sold on the defense. Like you said, they got great playmakers, but I feel like they still have had some games where they're just allowing too many points. You know, they lose to the Seahawks 37-31, and not to knock the Seahawks or anything, you know, that's still a good offense, but I don't think that the Lions should be giving up 37 points to the Seahawks. They gave up 24 to the Panthers. I don't think they should be giving up 24 to the Panthers. It's a different story. They gave up 20 there. And, uh, you know, the Falcons, they gave up six. Buccaneers last week, they gave up six. Both of them, oddly enough, 20 to six victories. It's weird, but uh, Packers, they gave up 20 in a game that definitely shouldn't have been as ended up being a two-score game. They had all the momentum, and then all of a sudden they gave up a touchdown and went three and out the next drive, and it all looked like it was about a go to hell from there but they ended up holding on but that's just one of those games that i feel like definitely shouldn't have gone out of hand they are only giving up under 20 points per game uh yardage wise they're putting up almost 100 yards per game to, um different they're differential so they're averaging 393 per game on offense and they're giving up about 300 on defense so they're almost averaging more yards than they're giving up or a whole hundred yards more than they're giving up um rushing attack too um they're only giving up three yards per uh per carry they're giving up 65 yards per game it's pretty solid um and for the most part they're making sure they're they're not letting offenses roam all over them but i I just see that Seahawks game, and I'm just – it just doesn't completely sell me yet. They do have the Ravens this week. I think that they're still going to uh, – wait, do they have the Ravens? They have the Ravens this week on the road. Yeah, yeah they have the Ravens, yeah. Uh, I think that they'll do a job against the Ravens, mainly because the receiving core for the Ravens is so subpar. I, I just can't believe that they still haven't found a good receiver for Lamar yet. But I think they'll be fine with that. But I think the real test is when you have the Chargers on the 12th and the Vikings, assumably that, um, assuming that Jetta is, is healthy again. They're going to have the Vikings, Cowboys, and Vikings for the last three weeks of the season. But um, the rest of the season is pretty much going to be a cakewalk because they still have to face the Bears twice. They got the Packers, the Saints, the Broncos. The yeah, that, that Saints game might might be the only really mix-up in there after the Chargers. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. I think the Saints will definitely give them a game. Because um, it's on the road, too, those road games, too. But Yeah. So oh. I think that those last three weeks are going to tell us exactly what the Lions are. 
Yeah, over, oh, overall, of course, they got Hendon Hooker, too, waiting in the waiting behind Jared Goff. And then Jared Goff just continues to improve and get better. It's like, oh, my goodness. Like, how do you – I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't really expect I, – I didn't think Jared Goff was that bad leaving the Rams, but I didn't expect him to ever get to the point where he was this good either, especially after leaving McVay. So, you know, I was really led to believe, and I believe myself, that McVay was a big part for success and probably did play a part into it. But again, they have a positive turnover differential, too, and that's another positive to look at. Uh, any team going wrong, if they have a positive turnover differential, that's always a telling statistic, too. Uh, one of the last piece of criteria that I want to meet on the Lions there. But, again, this is another, uh, you know, meter stick measuring game. You're trying, you know, meter stick game. How do you measure up? And the Ravens are on the road uh, are cer- is certainly uh, a matchup that you will look into, to, you know. Um, how do you measure up against competition? This is a good game to be able to tell you that. I don't think they have much more to prove, my opinion. And, then, and teams are entitled to their bad losses. Nobody's undefeated anymore, so we'll see. But like you said, if they can, you know, the, not just win in the shootout, but really have a commanding performance defensively, maybe win even in a low-scoring game. That's that's one we'll uh, we'll look to, and then we'll close it out. At least my final surprising team because C.J. Stroud has been so good. Uh, so that's why my, that, that was my tease there with the Anthony Richardson Richardson thing in the comparison to Cam Newton. Um, it, Richardson was looking great, and if the Colts uh, had a healthy AR and they were had a over 500 record right now, I would I would tell you right now that the Colts were shocking to me uh, doing that with Anthony Richardson. But now that he's going to be done for the season, the other surprising team for me has been the Texans, and C.J. Stroud has been super impressive, uh, beating my Saints last week. Good lord, I don't I don't think that should have happened. Like I guess I really don't think that should happen. No man, C.J. that. That whole Texans team, I don't know what happened, but they are on something else right now. I, I love the Texans right now. C.J. Stroud, amazing. And it's I said this on uh, Fumbleruski as well. It's a matter of C.J. Stroud isn't doing too much. He's doing enough to get the job done. He's making the smart plays. He didn't, give up the, he didn't get picked off for the first five weeks of the season. And he finally got picked off last week, but it didn't matter because they got the win. And it's just, you know, obviously you had a couple shaky performances with the Ravens and the Colts, and then you come out and just absolutely dog whip the Jaguars and the Steelers. <laughs> and I'm a big C.J. Stroud guy. They had the line to protect them. They got young weapons that are definitely going to end up amounting to something Damian Pierce hasn't been fantastic but he's definitely a pretty solid running back um the receiver I can't think of Tank Dell baby um, Tank Tank Dell's been good for them yeah Tank Dell he's gonna be really good to just a rookie as well Will Anderson that, they got gonna be a combination to look for in the future I mean you got two top five draft picks looks like both are gonna pay off Will Anderson um, the the Bama edge rusher, and then you have obviously Stroud's played well, and overall I think I, I think that they truthfully have you know they've built something there. I think that uh, D'Amico Ryan's um, it's going to be a weak comp. I mean having Trevor Lawrence there's one thing, but I don't the the AFC South not a traditionally strong conference, but yeah they they've shocked me. I love what they're doing. They play real hard nose defense, and D'Amico Ryan's has brought that there for them. And the big thing with rookie quarterbacks is not making a mistake, right? So Stroud just hasn't been making mistakes. And that's that's the biggest thing with a rookie quarterback. He's throwing for a lot of yards, but he's not making a ton of mistakes. And if you can minimize the mistakes with the rookie quarterback and you play hard-nosed defense, um, you'll you're going to be in a lot of close games. Now, whether you come out on top of all of them, I don't know. But 
if you're 500 right now and you're a win or two away from sneaking into a playoff spot with a rookie quarterback, uh, wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, no, I wouldn't rule it out either. So I'll uh, finalize that for the three teams that have shocked us. Now we got our we're gonna do our, our three team pick 'em here. Uh, leading into the week. So, Chris, I'll let you lead it off with uh, your first game that we're going to take a look at. Your, your, your lock, one of your three locks of the week here as we're, we're going into week seven of the NFL. Uh, my lock, I can't believe that this line even exists. No offense to you, but um, I got Jags plus one. The only thing is if Trevor Lawrence doesn't play in that game. What was that? If Trevor Lawrence is, is, is injured for that game, that's the only one that um, – that's the only thing that I think that changes that line. Mm-hmm. So that's what it yeah, tells no, – that's what it says does, to me. But, yeah, uh, I can agree with that. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the Jags are just definitely a better team than the Saints, in my opinion, whether Trevor Lawrence is – well, if he's injured, then, yeah, it's going to definitely make a freaking difference, but – um, assuming that Trevor Lawrence is healthy, then um, I would take the Jags mm-hmm. nine times out of ten. I, I Even as a Saints fan, I, I agree with you there. Um, me, personally, for my lock of the week, Baltimore's favored by three at home. I'm going to take the – I'm taking the Lions not – I mean, obviously, we're only going against the spread here, but Lions plus three, I'm taking the Lions against the spread. I'm taking the Lions money line and spread. Uh, I just th- – I think this is a Lions team. They're 3-0 and on the road this season. Um, I think they got it. I, I think I think this is no, again this is a statement game. That's my lock no, of the week. Well. Yeah, so you and me can both uh both agree with the Lions or Ravens. That being my number one slot. So, uh, we'll 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 get it to another game now too. So, the Lions being there, I I personally wouldn't I wouldn't touch I wouldn't touch Jag Saints Thursday night's gross. Um, I wouldn't touch a favorite, but it's also one point spread. I'm not touching it because you don't know if Lawrence is going to be healthy or not. Lawrence comes out. I mean, you could. If you wanted to do it now, and you take you take the Jags, expecting Lawrence to be healthy, with the Saints being favored by one, but then again, that that, that tells me the bookies know that he's either not going to be healthy or they just know something I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking too. It, um, when I originally saw it, I was like, really? And now that you say the Trevor Lawrence injury, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But even with Trevor Lawrence, I, Trevor Lawrence is going to play. But even with, with him health being a factor, I I feel like that the Jags being the underdog is just a little ridiculous, in my opinion. I, I don't know. It's you know you take obviously you take the spread and hope that the Jags just outright win, mm-hmm. but and you're just gonna expect them to outright win. But you know, like we said before, it's uh, any given Sunday. So yeah, the, I mean, we got we got a couple of good matchups in the league. I mean. Chiefs, Chargers, that's going to be at Arrowhead. Dolphins, uh, Eagles, of course, the Eagles at home. Uh, they're favored by two and a half. 49ers, Vikings on Monday night. Um, that I, Again, primetime games, it's a, it's a seven-point spread there. But then again, I just don't know. We just really don't know what we're getting out of the Minnesota Vikings at this point. Um, you, get some divisional yeah. ma- you, get, you get some divisional matchups to speak. Giants only being two and a half point dogs uh, to the Commanders. Um, you got you know quite the spread here with the Patriots and Bills, uh, Browns, Colts up there too. Browns only being favored by two and a half, but on the road, so of course home field traditionally uh, worth three. If I'm gonna give you my second lock of the week. It's in Foxborough. 
Buffalo's eight and a half point favorites. Do I think that the Bills go off on a? I I would take the Patriots to cover in that game. I don't know. Again, I I don't know if I'm crazy, um, for doing that. But if if Josh Allen's gonna play down to competition, I I, I can see that again. How long? I mean, Bill Bill's gonna gonna do something at some point, right? Like something's gonna happen. Can I bet on one of the worst teams in football? Um, that's not even hasn't even won a game at home yet this season. Uh, do I do that? And it only being an eight and a half point spread, it probably should be double digits. Um, again, I would I would roll Patriots here. I, I, again, I've been betting on the last couple weeks, thinking they're going to respond, and I don't know. But I, I would I, I'm not saying I can't believe I'm saying that's a lock. Maybe I should take that bet. You know what? I'm going to roll the Patriots covering the spread. I don't think they'll win the game, but they will cover the spread in Foxborough this week against the Bills. Well, well, when I read these numbers for you, you'll probably think that it's extremely a lock at this point. So, since Brady left, the Bills are 6-1. and one. The 2020 game, they won 24-21. Uh, that was in Buffalo. And then in New England, they won 38-9. And then uh, Max rookie year, uh, obviously the Pats won that one, fourteen to ten. And then in Foxborough, the Bills won thirty-three to twenty-one. Um, more often than not, the besides like two games, the Bills have won by two scores at the very least. And two of these games have been by either thirty points or twenty-nine points. The 30 points was the playoff game. They lost by 29 in that 2020 game I was just talking about. Every other game has been two score games besides the Pats win. Every every single game besides two. I mean, does does a Bill Belichick coach team go 0 4 at home? I don't know. That's probably a terrible lock, but I'll let you. We both agreed. And and <laughs> they've also lost the last four to the Bills. Yeah, maybe maybe we're just looking to for history to break up here. So we agreed on Lions Ravens both taking the Lions in that game. Um, you got the Jags over the Saints. Uh, I'm taking the Patriots or at least cover the spread against the Bills. I'll let you wrap this oh, you're up with the Patriots. Oh no, I'm taking the I'm saying I was taking the Patriots. I just don't think they're going to go 0 and 4 at home. And oh it, no, it should be higher than eight and a half. I think. Yeah. Definitely a little weird in that sense, but I I would still take the Bills spread in that in that sense regardless. Um, I'll let you finish up with your final lock, and then we'll just wrap this up. It's my I think this is going down in history as the longest podcast that we've had on the Reefers Rundown. So yeah, <laughs> it's funny we keep talking about the Fumble Rooski podcast. And now we're trying to keep it down to either an hour or lower, and we've been doing a good job of it, but. You know, there's always the times where you can't get past it. But my third lock, I am going to go with Washington two and a half uh, over the Giants. Um, I think that the Commanders are just going to come out and pound away on the Giants, um, assuming that geez, freaking fly. Um, assuming that um, is Daniel Jones still out, or I'm a even if he, he, even if he isn't back, I mean, I'll take a peek here at the news. Even if he isn't back, I'd still, I'd still take, uh, I'd still be taking them because Sam Howell's looked good. 
I think even even when um, Daniel Jones is healthy, Sam Howell has looked good. And I don't see any news particularly on Daniel Jones. I'll take a look at the the injuries so here for him. Looking at the Giants, looking at the Giants page right now, uh, he's listed as questionable. Um, still with the neck injury, limited participant in today's practice. Um, yeah, like you said, I, regardless if Daniel Jones plays or not, um, I kind of just threw that out there because just to be nice. But regardless if he plays or not, I think the Commanders are going to be covering the spread. I don't think the Giants are going to be winning, especially the way that you saw that the Giants played on, um, on Sunday night against the Bills. Commanders are going to be – Commanders have looked a little better on defense. Um I don't know. I just don't. Sam Sam Howell surprised me a little bit. Commanders are one of the teams that I considered one of those surprising teams. But yeah, I'd, I'd take two and a half. I'd take the Commanders uh, in that sense uh, think, as well, too. I think the counterpoint would be if the Giants were to get to Sam Howell. Sam Howell is the most sacked quarterback in the league right now, surprisingly. I don't know if you knew that. Damn oh, I mean, like... Somehow is not the most sacked quarterback in the I, Derek Carr's been hit every... You send more than four guys at Derek Carr, he's automatic. The, the blitz pick up and... Oh, God, is it bad? I, I can't. I can't yeah. watch it. I can't watch it. You send five. You send any more than four against Derek Carr, automatically on the ground in two seconds. It's a free hit. There's no blitz pick up. There's, there's nothing. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, no. I would have been... I, I knew it wasn't Derek Carr... But they have one of the worst O-lines in the league. But, yeah, the commander's obviously up there, too. Yeah, and so I think so. the counterpoint would be if the Giants were to get to Sam Howell, which they've proven that they can. Um, I don't know how much of the Sunday night game that you saw. but So Josh Allen didn't get sacked once. He hasn't been sacked the last two games now. And the reason why he didn't get sacked so many freaking times on Sunday night was because of his legs. And there was more than enough times that Josh Allen had to get out of the pocket because the pocket just collapsed on him so quickly. The Giants were getting to him at a rapid pace. They were they were sending guys, and I couldn't believe that Josh Allen was getting out as fast as he was able to because it just seemed like he was it was an ongoing thing. It was going on pretty much the entire game, and that was huge reason why the Giants were able to hold the Bills to 14 points. Do I think it'll happen again if they were to face the Bills again? No. But, you know, you you see the way that they played the Bills, and you think that maybe they can do the same thing to Washington, especially with the way that Washington protects Sam Howell. So Or doesn't protect him. <laughs> no. Uh, especially with the stat that I threw out there. But, regardless, if... Um, if they can get to Sam Howell, that would be the counterpoint to my lock there, but I'm still going to stick with it regardless. Fair enough, Chris. Well, appreciate you, you joining me. Um, sorry for taking up almost two hours here. Probably the longest episode ever. <laughs> that certainly is one of the longer episodes, but uh, it was a pleasure having you on. Probably, um, hopefully it won't be the last time. I'm not going to easily – not even hopefully. It will not be the last time. Um, like, like I said, I appreciate you. Hopping on, I'll drop all your socials in the description throughout too. And once I have this all uh, edited up, it'll be out there tomorrow. And again, I gotta put the phone number somewhere in here too at some point um, to to call into the show because we do want your voicemails in the future. I'm actually gonna check on my phone real quick. Maybe 
Maybe I missed on one. Maybe we I have told to... one of my buddies to leave a message or something, but I don't know if any of them did. Again, I gotta work towards making this a a live function, but nothing in the voicemail box. There's a text line too, so when I do get the number out there, um, sure to that a couple times. Actually, I'll pull it up uh, right now. Five zero eight six five seven four seven one seven. Now you can reach the Rufus Rundown with uh, text messages. We've done text message lines before with certain takes. So I'll throw it out there uh, with the images, and then of course the voicemail line too. Um, and then if there is ever a point where I am recording, of course, I can look at stuff um, in that regard, too. But, again, Chris, thanks for joining. We don't want to take up too much of your time, but I appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me. We're going to have to get you on the Fumble Rooski podcast now. Yeah, for sure. Again, I'll be linking that down in the description for you guys to check out as well. But uh, my buddy Chris Kostich and for all his friends over at the Fumble Rooski podcast as well, too. Myself, Luke Spurrier, signing off.